Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. All right, well, Schofield Community Chapel, once again, good morning. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. We're so glad that you're here as we continue our sermon series and life-giving lessons. Uh, just to reiterate what Chaplain Verdon had already shared, we are a Schofield Community Chapel. We're a place that I hope we're a blessing as we provide an opportunity for you and your family to worship together, but I also hope we give you opportunities of service as well. I hope that all of us, as we are stationed in Hawaii, get to enjoy Hawaii and do a lot of beautiful things. But I also, I don't know about you, but for me and my family, I want three years to go by and still be able to say, I served God. I want three years to go by and still be able to say, I was able to connect with God's people. I want two, three, or four years to go by and still be able to say, I'm raising my children in the Lord. I'm growing in the Lord. So I hope and pray that you're able to take opportunities uh, to do that. And by the way, if you're leaving in the next six months, raise your hand. Right in the next six months. Let me get here. Let me, yeah, a good, a good 10 or so. How many of you have only been here for six months? Raise your hand. You've only been on the island for six months. So we got a new person, a couple of new folks. They're new folks, new folks. And the rest of us are in the middle. At any given time, there's some of us who are just arriving somewhere. At any given time, there's some of us who are leaving. So what, a, what an awesome opportunity to get to be here together now. Well, if you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, as we continue this series on life-giving lessons, and we look at this subject, the joy, or perhaps the disdain, of the lost being found. The joy, or maybe the disdain, of the lost being found. In this passage contains what some may argue is the most well-known parable of Jesus, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to, however, look at the entire chapter. I believe God has something to say to us today from this parable, and I want to start simply by looking at verses number one and number two. You can keep your Bible open. We'll be in Luke chapter 15 throughout our time this morning. But look at this as I read it, only starting in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Keep in mind the three stories that Jesus is just about to tell start because it is the occasion that Jesus is eating with what the Bible says are tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors would have been properly understood as, as a toll collector almost. A Jewish middleman who worked for Rome, who would make a living by charging more than Rome was taken up. He would keep that cut for himself, so not a very well-liked crowd. Sinners, with tax collectors and sinners in this passage, that was a phrase used for the most notorious riffraff of society. 
people involved in seriously immoral or seriously evil behavior. In the chapter previous to this, in Luke 14, there's a story about a banquet. And Jesus says in that, in that story, he says, he says, go out and invite those, invite the tax collectors, invite the sinners. And as Jesus told that story, we find in Luke 15, he is actually doing just that. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees are mad about it. They're indignant about it. They're grumbling about it. I'm saying all this because I want to paint a picture for what this passage is, is talking about. Luke 15, 1 and 2, keep that in mind because that's where we're going. And he tells three stories, and what I want you to simply do is walk with me right now through these three stories. The first story... Talks about a hundred sheep. One is lost. One is found. And there is joy that takes place over the lost being found. Mark read it for us earlier, but go back and look at it. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. By the way, the so is there to let you know that he's telling these parables because of the fact that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees are angry about it. So he tells them a parable, the first parable. Well, who, what man among you, if he had a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, what happens? He leaves the 99 in the open country to go after the one that is lost until he finds it. This is a diligent shepherd. This is a shepherd that says, uh, this one sheep is valuable. This one sheep is worth my, my searching. We, we love the metaphors in the Bible about the sheep that went astray. The Old Testament actually says all we like sheep have went astray, but the Lord laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We find a shepherd who diligently searches. And Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. We don't know what the Pharisees' response are, but Jesus tells the story about the lost being found. A hundred sheep, one lost, one found, and they are diligently searching. As my wife can attest, I am not a diligent searcher. <laughs> Sometimes when I've lost something, her favorite phrase for me to say is, hey, where's my fill in the blank? No, she doesn't like that. She can't stand that phrase. For me, sometimes I go, well, the cost of looking is not worth the, what, I, what I need it for. I'll just, I'll just go without or whatever. I remember one time in my childhood, however, that my mother did not think that way. My dad has wore contacts my, my entire life for sure. And he had those permanent, not, not now I know they have the disposables, but back then it was permanent. In other words, he'd wear the same contacts for a long time until it was time to get a new prescription. And our church that we grew up at had a, had a front lawn. And my dad lost that contact on that front church lawn. And I distinctly remember my mother going the next day on a Saturday and she painstakingly started at one end of the lawn almost down on her hands and knees, walking, looking for that contact. And then she'd pace back this way, pace back this way. In my mind, it was like 12 hours. I don't know if it was really that long. But guess what she did? She found that contact. Why? Because she searched diligently. In this story, we have a, a shepherd who loves and a shepherd who searches. And, and go back and look at what it says that happens in verse Five, he lays the sheep on his shoulders and it has rejoicing. Verse six, when, it, when he comes home, what does he do? He throws a party. 
He calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. And then he makes this statement, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. If you've ever heard a pastor or somebody say when someone makes a profession of faith in Christ, we say we're rejoicing as the angels are rejoicing in heaven. That's where we get that idea from. God is excited about the lost being found. I hope that you're excited about the lost being found. I I hope that I am. I hope that we are. In this story, a hundred were found, one was lost, but it was worth it to go after the one. You with me so far? Let's go to story number two. In story number two, you have 10 things that were lost. It's not sheep this time, it's coins. But you're going to see the exact same pattern. You're going to see 10 coins who were lost. You're going to see one that was found. And you're going to find a woman who diligently sweeps the house until she finds it. And guess what happens after she finds it? She throws a party. There's joy. Do you see the pattern yet? See what Jesus is doing? Let's go back and look at it in verse 8. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, seeks diligently until she finds it. What does she do when she finds it? You guessed it. She calls her friends and neighbors. Rejoice with me, I found the coin that was lost. Just, and he tells, says it again. Just so I tell you, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I told you I'm not real keen on finding lost stuff, but there's sometimes in our, all of our lives, whether we like to look for things or not, the pain of having it lost is greater than the pain it'll take to find it. There I was, Camp Taji, Iraq, and guess what I lost? My cat card. I got up. If those of you who's been deployed, you know every day sort of becomes a Monday. I had my rhythm. I had my things that I did, go to PT, go to breakfast, come back, and my office was set up in this, in this chapel there. And somehow I lost it the night before. I didn't know that yet, but I went to PT and said, ah, I'm sure it's in my room or something somewhere. Came back to the room to get ready for a shower. Oh, I'm sure it's somewhere else. It wasn't anywhere else. Went to breakfast, starting getting a little more nervous. About time, about nine o'clock or so, I'm done with PT and breakfast and things, and I'm about to go make some rounds and go to the range or something with some guys. And I'm like, oh no, I still can't find my CAC. So I turned the office upside down. Lunchtime came. So now we're like hours into this thing. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's, it's not just that I lost the CAC. It's that the only place that had a CAC was the Baghdad Diplomatic Support Center. I'm literally going to have to catch a helicopter ride, fly over there, get somebody to do the CAC. It's going to change all my schedule. It's going to mess everything up. So I kept looking and I kept looking. I, swe- I turned the office upside down. Finally, uh, PFC Ludwig, who was my religious affairs specialist or back then chaplain assistant at the time, he actually grabbed one of the trash cans and he dumped it upside down and out pops this cat card, praise the Lord. We swept diligently and I don't know that I threw a party, but maybe I should have because that was like a day of my life that I got back because it was going to be what I would call a significant emotional event just to go get this cat replaced. Well, in this woman's life, it was something of value. And notice the first time it was 100 sheep, one was lost, he searched. Notice this time it was 10 coins. Maybe the coins were her life savings. 
Maybe the coins were a dowry. Maybe the coins were all that she had. We don't know. But all we know is that 10% of her stuff was gone, and she searched until she found it. She was happy when she found it. She called her neighbors and friends to tell them that she found it. There was great joy, and Jesus makes the statement again, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that there's joy in heaven when someone repents and turns to God. That's the story so far. Now, in the next story, we've gone from 100 to 1, 10 things, and then one loss. Now we're going to have two things, and we're going to up the value because this time it's not an animal, it's not property, it's not money. Now it's two sons, two human beings. And with that, we haven't read it yet. Let's read this great story that many people know, the story of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11. And Jesus, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. It's interesting that Luke begins by saying, and he said, almost as if Luke is giving us a hint to the fact that this is the climax of what Jesus is trying to teach. We've gone through several parables, I think six so far in our series, and most of the time the parables can, they're they're standalone parables, but this time Jesus takes three parables to, to make his one main point. When he says, and he said, it's letting us know that that we're getting now to the crux of the matter. And by the way, what did we say was the reason Jesus told these stories? Because Jesus was what? He was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees were grumbling about it. And now we meet. So far, we've told there's two sons, but we also then find out that there's a younger brother, And what does he do? All we've read so far is he says to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. If you've looked at this story at all in the past or heard anybody preach on it or read anything on it your own or look in commentaries, you'll know that in in the first century, as in today, but even more so then, you you got inheritance after after your parents died. Many would say that this young man is saying, Dad, I really, I really don't care about you. I just want your stuff. I just want what's coming to me. Just give it to me now. I don't know about you, but I don't like this guy. What about you? When I meet him, I'm like, what a despicable character. What a, what a bad person. It's designed to make you not like him. You don't hear about the younger brother and go, man, I'm I'm rooting for this guy. I know I don't. In the first story, the key figure was a shepherd who went looking for lost sheep. You can identify with that, right? Oh, that's awesome, going out looking for people, caring for lost. I can root for that, this poor lost sheep. I can root for a lady who is missing her coins. She finds her coins. I can get behind that. But when Jesus begins to describe the first son, the very last thing people in the first century would have done was start rooting for him and pulling for him. In fact, the more you hear about him, you might even begin to have contempt for his actions. And there's a reason Jesus is doing that. Let's keep reading. 
It says in verse 12, we've already said he divided his property. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, so he got his property, got his money. The younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property, the English Standard Version says, in reckless living. Some translations say riotous living. You might ask, what kind of things did he do? I would simply say, um, you can just use your imagination to find out the kinds of things a young man who squandered wealth very quickly could do with it in what the Bible just simply refers to as reckless living. I don't know about you, but I, I dislike this guy even more. It's like, oh my goodness, you, 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 not only did you ask for this that really wasn't yours to, for, at the proper time, but you basically wished your dad was dead. You took it and you spent it all and, and, you, and you burnt through it. It's like learning that somebody, you know, won $100,000 in the lottery and then like two months later you found that they're broke. What do you do? Oh, they're just so stupid. How can anybody burn through all, all that money? That's just so dumb. Do they not know about Dave Ramsey and financial peace and all that stuff? Well, this guy definitely did not. Well, what happened to him? Well, let's look at it. He squandered his property, squandered it all in reckless living. Now, verse 14, when he had spent everything, that is everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He began to be in need. He's living out the fact that sin will make you a slave. Uh, Sin will make you foolish. Sin will make you selfish. He, he's, he's the poster child for that. So he's in need. A famine comes. Look at verse number 15. What did he do? He went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Again, first century Judaism, Old Testament law, pigs were unclean animals. He is now at the, at the lowest of the low. He is at what we would call today maybe rock bottom. He's at the end of his rope. Any other cliches that you want to find, he is in squalor. He has lost it all with his recklessness and with his sinful ways of living. Now, verse number 17, what does it say about him? And before we read this, what was the pattern of the other two stories? Lost and then found. And what happened at the end? There was always joy. Say it with me. Lost, found, and joy. Do you see that pattern here? So far, we've got, we got the lost, right? Here comes the found. What an awesome story. Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Verse 18, he says, I will arise. And I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It sounds like repentance. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him, and he kissed him. I feel the found part of this story coming on. How about you? Lost, here comes the found. Verse number 21, and the son said to him, 
Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father gave him a big, long lecture. Now, that's not what my translation says either. Here's what it says. The father said to his servants, here comes the joy. Here comes the party. Lost, found joy. Lost, found joy. Lost, found, watch this, joy. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. What an awesome story. But we've got more to go because Jesus doesn't stop there and say, and therein lies the message of my story. That's why you should never disrespect your father. That's why you should never squander your wealth, which is a bad idea to squander your wealth. This is why you shouldn't associate with the unclean and go out rabble rousing with them. It's true. This is why you shouldn't spend your money in riotous living. But the story doesn't end there. And I'll, I'll give that we can learn in this, in this story that, that all sinners, however wicked, can repent and turn back to God. We know that from this story. We know that from other places in the Bible, right? We know that just like in other places in the Bible, God goes through elaborate lengths to, to bring us back to him, right? We, we know that God is a God of love. We know he's a good shepherd who, who, who seeks us out. We know he's like that woman seeking the coin. We know he's like this dad who compassionately brings us back to the fold. We know all those things. Because here's the thing. He's the younger brother. This will make sense in a moment. Younger brother lostness is very easy to spot, This younger brother lostness is very easy to see in my own life or in someone else's life. You wake up in a pigsty, you wake up overdosed, somebody wakes up with a hangover, don't remember anything about the night before, somebody's broke, somebody's starving to death, somebody's broken and goes to rehab. God cares about all those things, but I I wanna point out that those things are easy to see. But go back to what I said at the beginning. Why is Jesus telling these parables? Because Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. It sounds like this young man would have fit right in with those people, doesn't it? He would fit the definition of a sinner. And they're hanging out with Jesus. Here's the point. And it wasn't as if the Pharisees were joyful about it. In fact, they're angry about it. And that is what leads Jesus to tell these three stories. And that is why the story doesn't end with, oh, the lost was found, my son's home, amen, let's go home. There's one more piece to this story. Check this out, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. He heard the party. He heard the joy. And he called to one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Here's the same pattern, right? And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
Verse number 28, but he was angry and he refused to go in. Wait a minute, this broke the pattern of lost, found, and joy. This sounds like lost, found, and anger and grumbling. Verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in, but his father came out and entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he won't even call him his brother, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This older brother is full of pride. Younger brother lostness is easy to see. But folks, I want to warn us today in keeping with this passage to not be like that older brother. Don't have elder brother syndrome. The younger brother scenario is easy to find. They're out in the gutter. They're, they're, here's the thing. The younger brother may not be here today. They're out there somewhere living in squalor. But I hope to God that none of us find ourselves with the elder brother syndrome. Here's what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. When he got to the end of this story and talked about the older brother, Jesus is saying, Pharisees, you who grumble because I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners, you're the older brother. That's what he's saying. Elder brother syndrome. There's a couple of signs that you and I might have elder brother syndrome. If, we're, if we find ourselves full of anger and jealousy, look at, as you read through the passage, what you find is, is this older brother, it says he's angry. He, he's mad, he's, he's jealous. And that anger will drive him. And guess what? If you and I ever get to the point where we think God owes us a certain kind of life, we'll stay angry. And we'll stay just like the older brother. Elder brother syndrome may look like this. I'm trying to serve God faithfully in the military. And I didn't get the job that that guy over there, who I know is a sinner, got the job over me. The promotion results came out. And I didn't get the promotion. It was that person. But I'm the good person. How dare they get the job. My family served the Lord faithfully and all we've prayed for as a child. And those folks over there have more kids than they can even keep up with. I don't say that lightheartedly, but beware the elder brother syndrome. Many of y'all have children here. There's like 20 million kids, maybe not 20 million. There's 20 kids back there. I think if I counted right, I walked over there and checked out Children's Church before I came over. And you may pray, oh God, don't let my kid live in squalor. Oh God, don't let my kid be like that, be like that younger brother. But do you pray for your child not to be like this elder brother? Oh to God that we never have this mentality. Watch this. We teach our kids, hey, be good. Follow me, follow me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying teach your kids to be bad, but follow me. You teach your kids, be good. You teach your kids, get good grades. You teach your kids, don't be like all those horrible kids who don't get good grades. You be good. Keep following me. Follow me. You teach your kids, get a good job, because after all, that's what life is all about, is your kids to be, make a six-figure salary one day. That's what it says in the Bible, I think. Actually, it doesn't say that at all, does it? Be good. Get good grades. Get a good job. And don't be bad like that prodigal son. As long as you check all these blocks, you're going to be good. Get a good career. Have me a bunch of grandkids. And you know what? You can be an elder brother and you can check all those blocks and you can raise your child to be good, be good, be good and never teach them about their need for the Lord Jesus Christ and they can walk their little good selves all the way to hell because of elder brother syndrome. And if we're not careful, we fall into that because we fall into the trap of as long as I'm better than that horrible person over there, I am good. And when I see horrible people coming to God, I don't want anything to do with it because at the end of the day, I know I'm good and I know I'm right. I hope to God that you and I are not sending our children down that path. Anger, jealousy, comparing to others. That's essentially what the Pharisees, the heart of what they were doing. That's essentially what the older brother was doing. This son of yours. Not only anger, but Notice he also has this idea of duty, this idea of, of if I do all these right things, I am, I am okay. Notice how he says it. He, he has this idea of duty. He says, he uses the word serving. He, he says, it's, it's, the, it's the language of almost like a master and a slave. This is how the older brother talks to his dad. He says, I've served you all these years. I've not neglected any of your commands. What is he saying? I've checked all the blocks, so therefore I deserve all the best, and heaven forbid you show any mercy to anybody who is not as good as I am. I, don't, I can't read the mind of this dad, but I can look at what he said. Notice his compassion with his son. Look at verse 31. He tells the older brother, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Earlier in the passage, it just basically says he entreats, he begs his oldest son, hey, come and celebrate with me. It's almost as if the, the father's thinking, why are you even using this kind of language talking to me? When we have that attitude toward God himself, it, it's, almost as if we're, it's almost as if we're saying, hey, God, our, our, our relationship is transactional. If I do these good things, I'm right with you. If I do these bad things, you are displeased with me. Tim Keller said this. He's a, one of my favorite preachers to listen to. He said, older brothers, older brothers find God useful. But younger brothers, or those who are broken before God in repentance, they don't simply find God useful. They find God beautiful. That's the question. He has this mentality of, I, I, you owe me because I've done so good. Folks, if that's our attitude, then we have elder brother syndrome. He has this idea not just of anger, not just of duty, but, but this idea of, of pride. It's this entitlement mentality. It's, 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 it's merit-based almost. It's this pride. 
the younger son, ironically, he was so far off in a far country, yet he ended up spiritually being the one close. The older brother, who was literally right in the backyard, ended up being the one who was so far. This pride is what drove him to what, what I'm calling this elder brother syndrome. Don't be the older brother. Be the one who takes joy in the things that God takes joy in. Notice what we said about the father. He, he goes to the son. Not just, not just the prodigal. Everybody loves to preach about the prodigal son, and I do too. There's really about three or four sermons in this passage probably, but I love that picture of, of him running off and, and embracing the younger brother. But he also, don't forget, he entreats the older brother too. He invites him to come back. He speaks tenderly to the son, and he says, you're always with me. And the father says, all that is mine is yours. Look at verse 32, and we'll close. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And let's not let it be lost on us that the story ends right there. If you go to chapter 16... Luke is simply moving on to the next thing. I can't help but ask the question, well, what did the older brother do? Did he cross his arms and dig his heels in even harder and have an even worse attitude? Or did he repent and take his dad up on the offer to celebrate that the lost were found? And I think that's our question. If we find ourselves in that elder brother mentality, that anger... I'm so smart, and those people over there, they're so dumb, and they don't listen to me because I'm so smart. Fill in the blank. It's, 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 whatever, it's whatever that elder brother syndrome manifests itself in you and in me. If we find ourselves there, I can't help but think that you and I can finish this story this day. And what we do with this message and what we do with these parables The answer will not be found in the next five minutes. The answer will be found over the course of the next week. Will we repent of our elder brother syndrome, our anger, our pride, our our, our sense of, oh, I just do things things for God because that's how I'm right with him as opposed to God. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ who paid for my sins, and I'm trusting in that and that alone for salvation. And that causes me to be a person who looks around And no matter the group of people, if they're coming to God, oh man, let's party, let's celebrate, and let's be glad. The lost are found. The dead are now alive. Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees were mad about it. God is at work in this world all around us. What kind of response will you and I have as we go through this life? We be people who are joyful with the things that God is also joyful about. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are one who seeks the lost. God, I pray that you would examine our hearts. God, that we would hear from you. And God, for that elder brother mentality God, for that 
feeling of superiority in others as opposed to knowing, God, that we are all sinners who are in great need of a Savior. God, I pray that this life-giving lesson would not be lost on us. I pray that we would obey you. I pray that we would teach our children as well to be people who rejoice in the lost being found. God, I pray that you would bless us and be with us. And it's in Christ's name we pray.